In this week's market update, a strong start to the year despite recent banking concerns, oil surges as OPEC cuts supply, and is it time for emerging markets to shine again? So, the first quarter is now in the bag as spring belatedly arrives, and despite the recent alarming headlines in the banking and real estate sectors, the data points to a very strong start to the year as the rally at the end of 2022 continues into 2023. The market leadership has been almost the reverse of last year's, with Bitcoin and large-cap growth stocks leading the pack. In terms of equity regions, Europe is in front, followed by the US and Japan. Gold has had a pretty good start to the year too. The performance of large growth shares has been remarkable, up more than 14% in the three months to March. The Nasdaq index closed out its best quarter since 2020, up 17% in three months after last Friday's 1.7% rise. The broader S&P 500 was up 1.4% and 7% for the quarter as a whole. The strong quarterly performance may come as a surprise because it's the sum total of a pretty volatile quarter, which saw a very strong January, a weak February as fears about a higher for longer interest rate cycle dominated, and then a decent March, despite banking fears as investors focused on positives like the China reopening story. But the market performance has also been skewed by the outside gains of the big tech stocks that dominate the US market. The top 10 stocks have actually been the mirror image of the other 490 shares in the S&P 500. They've dragged the market higher and disguised the fact that most US stocks are not really performing well. That's how you can square the apparent discrepancy between a resilient stock market and the growing fear that the Fed's tightening bias is increasingly likely to lead to a recession within the next 12 months. The tech stocks are rallying on the back of expectations that a slowing economy will lead to sharply lower interest rates in due course. The rest of the market is drifting because investors are focused on the reason for the rate cuts. One set of investors is glass half full, the other half empty. So, where next? Although it looks increasingly likely that the October low might be it for this cycle, it's less clear that we're in the early stages of a new bull market. And the main reason for that is the gloomy outlook for corporate earnings and the fact that current market valuations, in the US anyway, are not really pricing in an earnings recession. The first quarter earnings season kicks off in a couple of weeks' time after Easter, and at the moment we're looking at an 8% decline in earnings for the first three months, followed by minus 6% for the second quarter and then minus 2% for the year as a whole. That full-year forecast is, however, coming down all the time, so it's entirely possible that the first quarter's rate of decline could remain in place for the whole year. And that would argue that the valuation range between a P-E ratio of around 15 and 18 is just too high. Of course, if the market is right in its expectation that the peak in interest rates is at hand and cuts in the cost of borrowing will begin in the summer – then investors may well look through the earnings downturn and shares could continue to drift or even rise a bit from here. It's wait and see time. The other big concern recently, the banking sort of crisis, appears to have stabilised since the takeover of Credit Suisse and swift intervention to protect depositors in the US. 
Fortunately, the concerns don't really look systemic and they seem not to have migrated to Asia or emerging markets. The one area where concerns remain elevated is bank deposits, where a big shift out of the banking system and towards money market funds continues. The real-world consequence of that is that banks have less money to lend, which will have a knock-on impact on economic activity. This is the main reason why it's now the consensus view that there will be a recession and that the hoped-for soft landing cannot now be achieved. For that soft landing to happen, the Fed would need to pivot to an easing cycle pretty quickly. The problem with that hope is that were the Fed to start cutting rates as aggressively as the futures markets have priced in, then it would probably be in response to a marked slowdown and falling earnings. It's a case of be careful what you wish for. The reason why the Fed would not cut rates, of course, is that it's still concerned about inflation. The good news on that front is that the central bank's favoured measure of rising prices, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, is coming down nicely from a peak of 5.4% last June to 4.6%. It's still well above the 2% target, however. What's unlikely to help the inflation picture is this week's sharp rise in the oil price. The cost of a barrel of Brent crude was up by 8% at one point after Saudi Arabia and its OPEC plus allies, including Russia, unexpectedly announced a cut in production. Brent rose to the mid-80s in dollars per barrel terms and Goldman Sachs raised its year-end forecast by $5 to 95 The supply cuts were announced, unusually, between scheduled meetings of the oil cartel. Saudi said it would be reducing output by 500,000 barrels a day, or around 5% of its usual output. Russia also extended its existing production cut until the end of the year. The supply cut comes at a tricky time for global markets because the reopening of the Chinese economy threatens to increase demand for oil by more than 3 million barrels a day between the first and the fourth quarters, according to the International Energy Agency. That would be the biggest in-year increase since 2010. Shares in the energy sector responded immediately to the higher oil price, with the European Stock 600 Energy Index up 3.6% on Monday morning. The FTSE 100, which has a high energy weighting, was up 0.7%. Talking of regional differences, one area of the global stock market that is increasingly gaining favour among investors is emerging markets. Looking back over the past decade, they've been a very poor performer, relatively speaking, with attention focused on the growth stock opportunity in the US. But take a longer term view and investors have actually been well rewarded for the perceived extra risk of investing in developing economies. Over 20 years, emerging markets have kept pace with the US during a period which has actually been very good for the US market. And for much of that period, EM actually outperformed by quite a wide margin. The long-term argument for emerging markets remains strong. Economic growth is stronger, demographics are attractive, and many of the risks of investing in emerging markets have actually reduced significantly in recent years. Uh, GDP in emerging markets has doubled as a share of developed markets in the past 20 years. Current account balances are now positive and external debts much more sustainable. This is one reason why EM is much less vulnerable to swings in the value of the dollar than it used to be.
The other big positive for emerging markets is the better mood music coming out of China, which seems much more supportive of growth than it has been in recent years. And to cap it all, emerging market shares currently trade on a forward earnings multiple of around 12, much cheaper than the US and on a par with markets like the UK and Japan. Please note that the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. Investors should note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. This information is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to one of Fidelity's advisors or an authorised financial advisor of your choice. Overseas investments will be affected by movements in currency exchange rates and investments in emerging markets can be more volatile volatile than other more developed markets. Reference to the specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell these securities and is included for the purposes of illustration only. Tax treatment depends on individual circumstances and all tax rules may change in the future. Withdrawals from a pension product may not be possible until you reach age 55, 57 from 2028. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. This podcast is meant only for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or a solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation.